Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the J. Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 279, dedicated to a team who on May 10th, 1973, won the 27th NBA Championship, the New York Knicks. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. During today's episode, we welcome back to the show Miss Maddie Hudak. Maddie is the sideline reporter for two-lane football games on the radio and a returning guest from Women in Sports Month from a year ago. If you remember this name, Maddie Hudak, from the show from a year ago, you remember that we had one of the most in-depth conversations about how different things on the football field impact you off the field. Well, today we're going to have some more conversations with Maddie about things off the field. Last year was about things in the NFL. Today is about things in college and our time experiencing and covering Tulane football during their magical season a year ago. So sit back, relax, and let's go ahead and take a trip to the state of Louisiana to enjoy my fun conversation with Miss Maddie Hudak during Women in Sports Month here on the J. Stevens Podcast. Last year, one of the guests that we had on during Women in Sports Month on the podcast was Miss Maddie Hudak, someone that when I had her on, I had no idea what we were going to get into, the topics we would get into, or what she would bring to the table. It was one of my most enjoyable podcast episodes, interviews of the entire year, so we're happy to have her back here with us once again. It's Miss Maddie Hudak. She is the sideline reporter for the radio broadcast of Tulane football, and uh, Tulane had a special season a year ago. Hopefully, they can do that again here in the fall. Maddie, welcome back to the JC with Podcast. Thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed our interview as well, so I appreciated those words. It was a good venting space for me at the time <laughs> for <laughs> Women in Sports Month, but we're, we're this is a better month, I think. Yeah, so far, so far it's a better, a better month. I think better last month. year we were on the heels or right in the midst of, I think it was the Deshaun Watson stuff, I believe. Yeah. And so yeah. you already had your thoughts in your head, and you used this space, and I didn't mind it, allowing you to vent and get some stuff off of your chest. Similar to what you're doing now with your very own podcast. And now it's very infant stages of the podcast. So I think we're up to episode three now. So there's a lot more down the road, a lot of growth, things like that. But did you ever think you would be the host of your own podcast? Not really. I mean, it, it depends on when you ask me, though, because, I, you know, at first it was, oh, I'm definitely going to go into writing. And then I really liked radio. Um and then it's hard to kind of find a lane, I guess, in this podcast world where there's so many of them as is. But whenever I would co-host radio shows or come on as a guest, I always felt myself kind of going on these rants, if you will, and always wishing that there was a place that, you know, there's not the, it's not the time when I'm doing two lane sideline reporting to talk about things outside of football. And my writing is kind of restrictive to Saints related stuff. So it's really just an open space, I think, for me. And that's probably what I expected less than ever having a show is just to have that kind of full creativity and open lane to figure it out. Cause I still am figuring it out. Like you said, it's in its early stages. And I'm just, I'm not a planner. And I think that this is a sport that everything changes by the day. So planning things out that far in advance is just not going to go well. But yeah, it's exciting. Very exciting in podcasting. I've been doing this for a while, but when I was episode two, three, four, and I mentioned this last week, I'll say it again. I was very close to quitting and stopping and not going any further because it was new and you have more experience prior to starting your podcast than I did. I had never been on a radio show 
co-hosting as a guest, anything. I didn't write none of that stuff. And so for me to just have these opinions and to put them out there for the entire world to listen to, that was nerve-wracking to me because that's not something that's normal for me to uh, share my thoughts with everyone. Um, and really for 20, like 20, 30 years down the road, you can go back and listen to those episodes and be like, Jay said what back in 2020? Jay said what in 2019? It's like, yeah, those are my thoughts, but it's it can be nervous, make you nervous. It can be uh, uneasy at times. But I think the stuff you've done previously, your writing, the radio stuff, even stuff with Tulane, has kind of prepared you, Maddie, for what you're doing right now being the host of your very own podcast. Yeah, I, I've had such a kind of an enriched experience of football that I, I really wasn't expecting you know, the sideline reporting job being so much more than I really ever envisioned it being. And a lot of that you know, having to do with how Tulane did on the field, but it's really the impact off the field that I've really found the most value in and realizing how much football we miss when we're just watching games and not paying attention to daily practice and meeting rooms and to be able to have access to practice and even just a few meetings is extremely insightful. And then to be able to see that play out on a field with a team that you're super familiar with, the coaching staff you're super familiar with, uh, it's definitely, yeah, awarded me just a feeling of confidence about talking about football itself. And then I think everything else kind of comes with it. But I think really growing into my own and feeling like I was confident, my football opinions has a lot to do with that job. The podcast is named Before the Whistle with Maddie Hudak, and it's a football-centered podcast. And if you were with us a year ago, you got to hear the passion. Now, it's not so much on-field passion for Maddie. There's a passion she has for the sport, from things that are on the field, but also off the field. You kind of hinted at some things that off the field that have kind of pulled you and tied you to Tulane and loving this job as being the sideline reporter. Will we get some of those off-the-field conversations and stories that you're able to share on the podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of what I tried to do in the introductory episode was kind of give a glimpse into me, but kind of just go through a, a microcosm of the experiences that I, I've gleaned there. But, yeah, I think just experiences like watching how teams respond when they're down in the fourth quarter. Like, I just have the most vivid memory of – Tulane's regular season loss to UCF, but how mentally in it they were at the mm -hmm. end of the game. And to me, that was really the biggest test that I had seen for them all season. Um, I had always said that I was kind of grateful that they lost that week four game against Southern Miss because I think that loss might have felt of greater magnitude. But it, it just stuck out to me that, you know, all the guys were going around and doing the four quarter thing yeah. and hitting each other. I, I didn't know what they were literally just eating gummies to get a sugar rush, but, you know, they were all just super hyped up a lot to do with Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, the latter of which I'm extremely excited to keep covering in our own backyard. I actually just interviewed him earlier today. Um, just, yeah, those relationships I think are super important. Um, I had gone on, you know, T-Bob and Jacob Hester's show recently. I didn't know Jacob Hester did sideline reporting at one point, but he pointed that out as well. And especially being a former player, I think it's a job that you can not do that much with and just show up and, offer not that much outside of injury reports and, you know, doing my prescribed duties. But my boss had said, you know, I, I want you to really make this role your own. And so it really has been that relationship building. Um, and then just watching the game from that vantage point, it's just been so different. So in my long winded fashion, yes, I will certainly be sharing some anecdotes along the way. Why has football been a sport that you loved 
for a long time as much as you do. We got kind of some of this last year, but I also understand, and I hint at it again, Tulane's season a year ago was special. And I know you – I think you've been mainly an NFL person. NFL's been more your thing, the Saints. But, Maddie, it seemed like the season Tulane had did something special for you and had – maybe cultivated a special love for you for Tulane football, maybe college football as a whole. I'm not sure, but what has football done for you and why do you love it so much? Yeah, it's a good thing to point out too with the college football thing, because it almost feels like I experienced like my first love over again. And it was really, again, something I never expected to kind of foray into, but I would say at first I was a Saints fan more than a football fan. I understood the basic elements and then, um, I, you know, I talk, I've talked about this, but my family went through Hurricane Katrina. I came down here two months later and, and saw the extensive damage firsthand. And then I watched how the Saints brought life back to a city and was in New Orleans for the Super Bowl. And then I think it was after that that, and it was that season really that we were like, okay, well, we should we should really be watching every game or trying to figure it out because that was in a time where we didn't have every streaming service available. Um, and then that next year. I, I just realized it was a good thing to talk with my dad about, you know, he was a Browns fan. He's no longer a Browns fan. Um, oh, man. Man, that's a great, yeah. that's a great decision to make, man. Being a Browns yep. fan is tough. I, I honestly think he's so much happier now and, and had that one <laughs> win against the Steelers in the playoffs. And I've, I've never seen him look that happy at a football game ever. So I think we've reached the pinnacle there, but we kind of enjoyed just talking about the game of football outside of the saints and yes, the saints, but that's what I started to kind of enjoy it more in that way. And then when I was in at Tulane, it was really easy for me to go to a bunch of Saints games in person. I just think the in-game experience makes such a difference. Unfortunately, I didn't have Yulman Stadium until my senior year. Uh, I went to like two, I went to two games, I think, one with my parents and one after Hurricane Isaac, my move in weekend freshman year. It just did not work at the Superdome. So I was always an NFL fan, but then I, you know, I started following along with Tulane and I felt a kinship to them because I went there and I saw a lot of my own personal fight in them. But I think it really was the first time was Kansas State last year where I was like, wow, this is a feeling that is definitely new. College football definitely has its charm to it that everyone always talked about. And I guess you have to have that moment where you experience it for yourself. But that was really it for me. And in a way, win like that with hearing boos and hearing how that just amped the players up more. I mean, four, four down stops was just sick. Like it was yeah. the most cool game ever. The the decision to go for it on fourth down in their own, I, I think 20 or 25 with a minute left. Um, when we were basically calling on the radio that we were going to kick it. Um, and, and then it was like, oh, wait a second, he's going for it. And then it just started this snowball of magical things that I always have to keep thinking back actually happened. Like the following week where Michael Pratt, or just two weeks later, when Michael Pratt was out and Justin Ibieta, goes down in the opening series and our third string quarterback wins, takes us to overtime and wins with a walk-off touchdown to Tajay. It, it was, and the cotton bowl really speaks for itself. I could go on and on, but to witness the greatest single season turnaround in college football history, I, I don't take it for granted. That's definitely for sure. They really just taught me a lot about how to be a person too. I think that they've really transcended football in that way. I was just talking with Nick and really the way that they responded to adversity in their personal lives, like with Nick, with his sister getting into a car accident the week that we were in Ole Miss, and that was a team that he wanted to play for growing up. He breaks his fibula during that game. But also 
how they've applied it in a football sense. And I'll be honest, whenever I'm running and I feel like I want to stop, I think like if Tulane could believe in themselves after winning two games, you can finish this lap. And I'm being sincere, but that's how much of an impact that they've made on me. So it's been a new love and I have really enjoyed it every day of the last two seasons. Do you think this love you have for the sport of the college football could be any bigger or greater than it currently is? I wouldn't say love. Um, I, I would say kind of just what my role ends up being yes, in it. Yes. I really don't know yet. And I have a lot of interests and I'm, I, I've learned that you, it's much better to be flexible and open-minded in this yeah. industry than it is yeah. to have one straight line path. And that's kind of what led me to this industry in the first place was let's try pathway number four. Um, so I think, yeah, I might get integrated into the game more, but I think it would have to take, you know, me actually being on a staff and, and winning some sort of bowl or championship Super Bowl to get a deeper love for the actual game itself. But just learning about it from a scouting perspective, it's definitely given me I'm I'm a school person, so I mm -hmm. love to learn. And so I would say like that is kind of where it's continuing is just I love that I get to kind of be a student again, but be a student in what I think is the most interesting topic. Let's go back a little bit to the Cotton Bowl. You mentioned it. I remember seeing tweets from you, I think the week leading up to the game, and then somebody had a video of you, I believe, risk recording you. Like, I think, I want to say Tulane was in the red zone. One of the two teams was in the red zone, and there was a big play that was made, kind of like um, maybe a stop or something. You were just excited. And I saw you kind of cheering, not so much cheering like a fan, but as a coach, but there was like a different sense of I'm in this with them, but you're not literally on the field with them. And I think it goes back to how you discuss meeting the players, learning who they are, getting to know them off the field. And in those moments, it's like, I know that guy. I know what he went through. I know the hard times he's had. I know the things he's going through in school. I know the problems he's having with his family. And seeing all of that stuff be outside of them, but being on them being on the field to – pull off that type of win. That was huge. But I just really enjoyed watching you. And I forget what was five, 10 second clip. I don't know, but just seeing how into it you were. And I think it goes into you knowing not just the football players on Tulane's football team, Maddie, but also the people who are the players on the team, if that makes sense. No, it does. I think you hit the nail on the head with kind of the, the way that I feel about it, where you're right. It's, it's not exactly, a, it's not a fan, it's not a coach. It's kind of in the middle, but it's, this is personal investment in all of these guys, like, yes. you know, as friends, as human beings. And like you said, you basically went over all of it, you know, knowing the guys that have come back through injury and their mental recovery through injury, you know, thinking how Nick came back and was the co-leading tackler, I believe, and was the leading tackler in three of the first six games that he came back from his broken fibula. And I remember like swearing into the sky when I walked in and saw that he was on a scooter. But I think really having that kind of second year of, more long-term relationships that weren't displaced by a hurricane and weren't kind of, you know, impeded by the fact that they were just not doing well. And I didn't really want to burn them if that made sense and, and make unnecessary conversation when it really wasn't the time. And so, I, yeah, it took on a different feeling for me this year. And it felt like at the draft, I I've said this, but it was stressful and I don't really like it. Um, yeah, but yeah. I just, again, talking with Nick, hearing like just his day on Saturday and, and I'm like, I can't even imagine being a player, honestly, because for me, I'm like about to keel over just thinking about it. But 
yeah, it's been, it's really just been special. And I am grateful that these guys are also so open to you know, being this open and, and vulnerable because I think that's something that guys being vulnerable and opening up about their struggles is not always as easy said than done, but it is such a comforting environment there. But I'm not really an emotional person, but I have found that there is something to be said about women in sports, kind of having more of that touch on the emotional pulse a lot of the time. I think that really helped me kind of bridge the gap between those guys. But I also think part of it when you see me acting out at games is I haven't played competitive sports in a long time, but my nickname was Mad Dog because my coach would say that when someone would like take me off, I would turn into a rabid dog on the field. And I don't really go back into that mental portal ever. And I think that's kind of what started to come out uh, during a few Tulane games where like, I just also was really competitive at that point And like, what, probably way too into the game. It takes me about seven hours to decompress from the adrenaline after I get home. But yeah, it's a lot of things, but it really has just been special and something I, I never, you know, I say I didn't expect a podcast to really to have my own space, but just to have this much of a, a role, it feels like, and stake in a team, um, when I only expected to kind of cover as a neutral outsider, uh, that's it's definitely been new and fun. Let's put a pause on this two-lane thing really quickly. You just hit the nickname, and I did not get a nickname from you last time. Mad Dog? Like, that's original because you don't hear that every day. But we got to hear more from the origination of this nickname. And is this something that still is true about you today? Like, hey, yeah, I'm still like this person that can be – um, nickname Mad Dog because that's just kind of how my personality is as, a, as an adult. But no, like I, I like nicknames. Last year we got somebody who's high school basketball coach nicknamed nicknamed them Convict, and I I just start laughing. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's it's it was I wasn't expecting that at all. But Mad Dog, that's that that one's original as well. Yeah, um, I was a little bit of a terror when I played soccer. I am undersized at 5'3", so I had to make up for a lot when I was guarding girls that were oftentimes you know, 5'7", and I'll admit I was very much a professional fowler at multiple times. His yellow cards really get away with a lot in soccer, <laughs> and sometimes you know they're more likely to miss the PK than they are a breakaway shot where your goalie's out of position, and I just lose really all control and aspects of my safety, which is – what eventually took me out actually it was kind of a freak accident. I ran backwards into a pothole, but I wasn't going anywhere because I got injured so often. Yeah, it was not a good soccer field, to say the least. Um, probably one of the more negligent things that I could say happened to me, but I just was always hurt. But yeah, I was always really aggressive and I was a captain. So when you're playing soccer compared to football, there's such a greater vantage point at defender than there is in that very compact 10-yard uh thing that you're playing football. Whereas, you know, I'm watching a play take place 60 or 70 yards in front of me and you're kind of doing these chess pieces of, all right, well, when's I going to kind of come back over here and direct the choir accordingly? Um, so yeah, um, I, it's an unexpected trait of mine. It's one that doesn't really come out that much except for football games. And you, <laughs> uh, you have to really make me angry. I can't say that that's something that it invokes very often, but you definitely harness the beast um, if if need be. But yes, thank you, Adam Clark, my soccer coach growing up for that nickname. I think I got it at around sixth or seventh grade. Oh, a young one. I, I was thinking this was something that came out in high school, oh, no. maybe freshman <laughs> or sophomore year. But no, you were a young was... teenager, maybe that was uh <laughs> wow. 
that one just blew my mind because I'm thinking like high school aides, like high school coaches get to know you. Nope, nope, nope. Maddie was nicknamed Mad Dog at a very young age. Is that something that I, I don't know? That 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 got me. What other sports did you play? Let's just let's hit the sports now. Uh, I really was like a one sport girl. I okay. briefly tried basketball and then I stood directly under the basket, got hit in the face and decided <laughs> that that was the end of that experience. Also, again, you know, five, three precluded me from that and volleyball and I have no hand eye coordination. I tried taking tennis lessons and it did not go well to say the least. Um, the, uh, honestly, the second thing that I was the most consistent with was probably gymnastics and ice skating. I did ice skating for a while. And then okay. once they tried to put us in the harnesses, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm, thank you. I'm done with this. And I did pull everyone down in our recital because I started going down and I figured, well, let's just all get embarrassed at the same time. So I'm not a coordinated person. So dance and those types of things didn't work, but you could be a little rough around the edges. So I started playing soccer and I actually went to competitive soccer when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Okay. And I, my family used to, get really into our Halloween costumes and they used to be our Christmas cards. And that yeah. year we were pirates of the Caribbean and we went to like a department store and got actual like pirate makeup done. And I had slept at my friend's house and didn't have anything to take it off. So I showed up to my soccer game the next day with like a fully white face and a bloody thing. And my hair was still in braids. And like, I looked like Mia Hamm because everyone was so scared yeah. of me on the field that I scored like four goals. Like I was truly having the game of my life because everyone was running away from me. It's, very hilarious to think back on. And then one of these coaches approached me afterwards and was like, Hey, would you like to try out for the fury? And then so on she rode. So it was really, I went into competitive soccer thanks to parts of the Caribbean, but then I really just stuck in that lane being that just tried throwing a football at Yeoman. It did not go well. I've small hands. So yeah, soccer was my lane. Competitive soccer is one of those things that when I think about like sports where kids play that are competitive, I think, Travel baseball and softball get a lot of attention. You get the AAU stuff and basketball. But I don't really think a lot of people truly understand how competitive soccer can be, especially at that young of an age. What was it like for you playing competitive soccer fourth, fifth, sixth grade? Oh, it was so much fun. Again, I don't know where this like evil side of me came from, but like it was just tournaments I do remember tournaments where I think that's a legitimately insane thing we play four soccer games in one weekend like in no world should anyone be playing four soccer games in two days like I would have to call out of school sometimes because I could not move on Monday but just it was such an exhilarating thing I'm such a defender at heart and so just to like tap into that for that long but yeah, it, it does start off because there's no pads. You have shin guards, that's it. And then the shin guards get smaller as you get older. Mm -hmm. You have mm -hmm. the ankle protections and you just have those little cardboard things. Um, and that's it. Um, and I think it's really one of the few, like there is contact in basketball and everything, but I mean, you could literally shoulder someone over and that's considered legal as long as you don't use your elbow. And if you slide tackle the ball and they go flying, as long as it was a clean tackle, you can get away with it. And so- to be honest, when you're learning how to do those kind of things, it definitely breeds a lot of, oops, I cleated you, so now we're in a fight kind of thing. And I definitely enjoyed egging on people in a kind of C.J. Gardner-Johnson fashion, which I think if you're able to harmlessly incite someone like that, I think that's a skill. And just it was really fun riling girls up because you have a lot of time there sometimes with the Cristiano Ronaldo type that likes to just sit on the deepest defender. So I would just talk to them. It's fun. It's fun. Tra so 
talking to them as in trash talking, I'm assuming. Yeah, but sometimes I would just say stupid things like talking about the sky and the squirrels and just like random things until they freaked out that I just wouldn't stop talking. My parents said I should be an FBI agent, but you know, here we are. Because anyone <laughs> would confess to a crime. Like, I don't know if that's always the best thing, but okay. <laughs> I, I also want to believe that with the sports media industry being as competitive as it is, and you being someone that played soccer younger, yeah, had a nickname Mad Dog, and also has done numerous things from writing to radio, sideline reporting on the radio, um, to interviewing players, um, to different avenues of things you've done so far. My gut tells me that competitive side of you is still something that drives you to this day and the things you're doing every day. Is that safe to say where? That competitive nature that you created and that was a part of you as a youngster is still a part of you in a different way as an adult? Definitely. I think for one, just the framework that it's still, it's a different sport, but just working in sports, I think kind of brings that out of you. But I I grew up a lot through soccer. Um, You know, I, when everyone kept growing and I didn't, and I got hurt all the time, I, you know, I lost my spot on my original team. My coach was starting a different newer team. And it was, you know, like one step below and he needed someone to kind of be the leader of that team. And so he asked me to do it. And at first, you know, I was offended and I probably had to chip on my shoulder for a while, but eventually I came around to it because I'm like, you're right, I'm not starting anymore. And this would be an opportunity for me to be a captain and really like make a difference. And so that I think decision and looking back on it, because I eventually ended up getting called back up to my former team. But by that point, it really just didn't matter to me. It was really that initial decision. And also just the fact that my coach saw that I had those leadership qualities and encouraged me to kind of pursue those. I think that gave me a lot of internal motivation to prove uh, you know, myself wrong throughout that time. And I think it all kind of comes down to intrinsic motivation. Um, you know, ex- That's what it comes from within, be it for one reason or another, a lot of the time it is that trip on your shoulder mentality though. Um, I do think to an extent entering blind into this industry and just kind of seeing how it goes yeah. has helped me kind of get through that. But I think where the you know competitive thing helps most is understanding injuries and being a little more perhaps empathetic to injuries that we might not understand the full extent of like hamstrings or, you know, Instead of just yelling about Jameis Winston's broken back, do we actually know what that means? And right. I'm, you know, willing and because I'm curious to go look and seek that out. But it just gets to a point where people are like, well, "Why doesn't he just tape up the ankle?" And, and I'm like, "Have you ever had this injury before?" And that's not to say that that should be a prerequisite to being understanding, but it's also easier to understand when mm-hmm. you suffered a lot of these ailments um that's kind of you know Brooke Kirchhoff or WWL we kind of became friends in the press box watching the Saints because we both have that soccer background we're kind of talking about that how it just feels like sometimes we miss the point on the injury discussion and I think having that kind of understanding and knowing what it's like to go through a really long recovery timetable and have to go to physical therapy where you spend two or three weeks walking on a treadmill and it drives you nuts when you're a competitive person so knowing what those kind of frustrations feel like um, has really kind of helped me because you know, there's always going to be injured guys on the sideline. And I, I try to help them not feel like they're as alone out there all the time because a lot of it is really just kind of sitting on the sidelines and sitting it out. And that's tough. It is. Maddie, last thing for you here. It's Women in Sports Month. 
And it's the second year we've had it. You were the, one of the guests last year. Second, um, you were doing it, second guest this year as well. And so I'm always looking to hear from people like yourself. Your avenue, the things you're doing, I'm not doing. But even as a man, if I was doing it, it exactly what you're doing, it would be a different experience. So I asked a question a year ago. I'm going to ask you something today. And it's going to be the last thing I ask you during our time together. How can things improve? For women in sports. I'm going to sound like a homer, but quite honestly, they can look at Tulane as a model because to me, that's really where I felt like I'm not just valued, but have been an asset in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And, you know, the fact that they've sent three girls now to scouting departments in the NFL, that speaks for itself. The fact that when that Deshaun Watson stuff was going on, you know, my boss, Corey, came up to me and made a point to say, you know, the universe, uh, we are all standing behind what you're saying here. So that's why you're not hearing anything from us and you're not going to. And they didn't have to say that, but it's that they make the point to do so. Right. So, you know, I was a little I was very jaded at this time last year um, mm-hmm. and, you know, for obvious reasons. But, you know, I, I think that we're always going to be kind of climbing this boulder of looking at everything from, you know, a true equality perspective. But it's safe to say that even if some of it has been performative, like we've definitely moved in a better direction towards women in sports, but it's just this last year for me has been so positive and like rewarding. And it might be a different question for college in the NFL because there are definitely times where I'm still like, okay, like this is really not making you want to check back into the NFL. Um, But again, I think just, having us work in giving these opportunities to more women and also allowing that to be an experience for what they make it. And I understand not every school might value sideline reporters or want to give that much access, but I've heard these stories about reporters not really even getting much outside of practice or being able to go to all the practices. And that's crazy to me because I'm at every practice. I can pull players, talk to players whenever I'm not, you know, took gaining the trust and not blowing it obviously, but It's just really, yeah, it's hard for me to say anything negative after all of that. But I also know that I'm almost living in a bubble where these are like the nicest guys I've ever come across. Like the head coach turns down a power five job for one last game. Like it does feel like I'm living in a simulation at times. But if Tulane can do it, then why can't other schools who have greater football resources, a more longstanding history of success and stability? It's just, again, it's about relationships. And I think if everyone just values that on a human level, and not a what does she bring to the table kind of thing, then I think just kind of accepting it as the norm, really, but also giving avenues for us to succeed and encouraging that in the way that I felt at Tulane, and I think is really how we can move that forward. Maddie, it's fun having you back on the show once again in the Women in Sports Month, and uh, we still have not done that collaboration, me you and Ross Jackson. So I know sometime between now and the beginning of the football season, we'll have to bring Ross on the show. Might have to um, surprise him a little bit or something like that. But uh, look forward to doing that down the road. If you could let everyone know where they can catch your show um, before the whistle with Maddie Hudak in, um, maybe with, maybe wanna, maybe they want to listen to a Tulane game on the radio in the fall. They could do that as well. Also Twitter, where can people catch all your work? Sure. And also, again, I really enjoy coming on with you. So thank you for having me two, uh, two years in a row. But everything, first, I always say Twitter is the hub, even though who knows if it's you know what's happening Correct. there on a daily Correct. basis and how long it will last. But it's 
currently at Maddie Hudak underscore nine four uh, before the whistle. I post those episodes there, uh, but it's under hard in the paint sports media, which is David Grubbs media company. Now that's on YouTube. I think if you just search before the whistle, it'll come up. And I also post those links. It's on Apple podcasts as well. Uh, and then I, I believe we'll be unless anything changes with one Oh four point one, the spot next year for Tulane, but We'll keep saying Twitter until it ceases to exist, but that is where that most updated info- information will be at that time. And guys, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. You can also send all of your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com. For those of us in the Midwest that have been waiting for beautiful weather to consistently be outside, it's finally here. Let's enjoy it because sunshine, it does something to our mentals. It does something to our brains. It does something to help keep us in a good mood. So let's go outside and enjoy this weather together. Guys, this is episode 279 of the JSTMS podcast. I'll see you next time.